Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, Genesis. Hope everyone is doing well out there. You guys are staying safe. Uh, Thank you, Randy, for the music. Thank you, Brian, for the announcements. I just want to touch on one of the things that Brian mentioned there in the announcement, something that we are leaning forward to do, the Human Library. If you're not familiar with that, you can Google it, maybe watch a few YouTube videos to see what that is. Really, every person has a story. And if we were able to read the books that people are, in other words, if they were able to share a story about their life and some of the things that they've gone through, we have multiple stories within our lives. Um, This is an opportunity for us to hear the stories of other people and where we can meet together. We are not sure exactly where that's going to be. It might be at a park. We're even thinking of maybe doing it in the public square by the Upland Library out front where we will go and have maybe eight or ten books. And what I mean by books are people who are telling their stories. And for five to ten minutes, they get to share their story with us, the diversity in stories that helps eliminate the the maybe stigmatism that we have and the things that we perceive when we actually hear someone tell their life story. It helps us to be a little bit more understanding. And after their time of telling that story, we have about five or ten more minutes that we can actually then talk to the people, ask them questions. You know, when you read a book, you don't rip out a page because you don't like what it says. You don't rewrite a paragraph because you wish it said something different. But wouldn't it be great if you could actually talk to the author and say, why did you say this? What was happening in your mind when you wrote this down? This is an opportunity to do this. And we have, again, a handful of stories already put together. If you would like to tell your story, you can, again, send us an email at info at thegenesisstory.com. Let us know what that story is, because we are hoping to continue doing this uh, into the future in a way that helps connect us to our community. So anyway, just a little bit more information on the human library, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this develops and takes place. Also, as Randy mentioned, and I want to just be a little bit more clear on one of the things that he mentioned in prayer for Colleen, as some of you have asked about that, she's feeling very weak. Um, Sean has shared that she has been kind of unable to move and get up sometimes because of the toll the chemo is taking on her body. And so we want to be praying for strength for her. 
pray that the chemo does its job against the cancer, but that her body is able to maintain strength and continue uh, fighting the cancer. He says that she's in great spirits, which is all that I can think of when I think of Colleen is a great spirit. And so it's hard to imagine her not being able to get up and move. It's also hard to imagine her going through this and us not being able to be there for her as closely as we'd want to be. But we can be here together with her in prayer. And even now, let's pray for her and our time together this morning. God, we lift our sister up to you who is so dear to our hearts and whose spirit has infected so many of us, Lord, her love for you, her love for people, how she cares and reaches out, Lord. May you strengthen her body to fight against this cancer. May you give her uh, an incredible boost of energy to help get over some of the fatigue that she's experiencing because of the chemo and the treatments that she has. Lord, I pray that you would surround her with love and compassion. Thank you for her family that is there by her, Lord. And we pray, Lord, as we are unable to be near her at this time and we would love to be a help. Father, may our prayers touch her and may your healing power strengthen her, Father. Thank you again for her and for this time that we have. Lord, I pray that the things that I talk about this morning would have a sense of bringing strength to us, bring healing to us, bring the ability to connect us even through just the video or the podcast, Lord. May our hearts continue to unite with one another in our cause to live for you. And I do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This morning, I'm going to be continuing in chapter 9 of Daniel, part 2. And I don't have a list of things that I usually start off with, some points, because this was a, a different topic for me. It was different in that the whole culmination of the book of Daniel is leading to this understanding of the revelation, right? A a revelation, which is an apocalypse of who Jesus is and how we are to live for Christ. And even so far back when Daniel was writing this, there was a revealing of what God was doing. And I hope to really sit in this for a while and allow it to influence our lives and how we are to now live. We saw last week in chapter 9 that it it took a detour. From chapters 1 through 8, we have been seeing dreams and visions about these empires, these pagan human empires that would bring harm to the people of God, but then God would vindicate the people and and bring deliverance. It was over this period of, of kings and visions that Daniel interpreted from Nebuchadnezzar to others that he saw and had that God was going to do something in spite of all these empires to bring about this vindication for his people. But last week we looked at, there was a a sharp detour in chapter nine, where the first part of the chapter, Daniel is, instead of talking about these pagan nations and the harm they're doing, he actually goes introspective and looks at the harm that 
Israel had done to itself, where there had to be a confession, there had to be an acknowledgement of their role in their place, that exile wasn't just because of these empires, it was also because of them. And what we really focused on, or I really focused on, was that Daniel included himself in the problem and didn't see the problem as other people's problem, but as a collective. And so it was, we have sinned, we have done wrong. It wasn't your people have done wrong or these people. There was an inclusion to himself in this problem. Kind of a behind the scenes, there's a problem, not just with these empires, but with God's people as well. And we went through the prayer and how he did have that inclusive nature to it. And Daniel reminds God, and that's kind of a funny thing to think about, to have to remind God, right? But he reminds God at the beginning of what he said to Jeremiah and and how Jeremiah said there's going to be 70 years and then the exile would be over. And we're about to see that that wasn't quite how it was playing out. And so start with me in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. While I, this is Daniel, was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God to the holy hill of my God. Remember, he would face Jerusalem when he would pray. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision." So there's intercession happening here for Daniel. There is a reaching out from God to Daniel. And I love that even though Daniel has this attitude of, we have done this wrong, we have sinned, it says that he is greatly loved. And I think this is a revelation that we need to hear time and time again. You know, whatever is going on in your life, whatever has happened in your life, whatever you are struggling with, wherever you find yourself and the things maybe you have an introspective voice saying, look at where you are, look at the things that you have done, the wrong that has happened in your life. You need to understand that the message of God that is coming to you is that you are greatly loved. And it's important that we understand that, that God is not against us, but he is for us goes on in verse 24. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. This is talking about the time of exile. So it's no longer 70 years, it's 70 weeks or 70 sevens. To put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out 
of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, there shall be war, desolation are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week shall be put at an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This passage has provoked so much thought and intrigue. At the time of Daniel, when he is writing this, and we've already kind of played through some of the empires, and we've seen a definite fulfillment of this in Antiochus Epiphanes, as we talked about it before, who, who desecrated the table and slaughtered a pig, on, desecrated the altar and slaughtered a pig on the altar and, and brought this desolation. And Daniel was grieved as he's talking about these things, seeing the pain that was going to come. But we see that that story continued and people later on would also read these words and think about how they applied to themselves. And so there's a definite fulfillment that's taking place with Daniel. But we even see that those who were a part of the writing of the Dead Sea Scrolls, they took this 70 weeks and this 490 years and they added it up and they thought that the the Messiah to come would be coming in the sense of King Herod or maybe even his son at the horror of the thought of that to the Pharisees. There was division even among the people, but they were trying to figure out when were these things going to take place? Who are these things talking about? And Josephus Josephus tells us that that's what they thought, many of them trying to figure out, and that would be at the end right before uh, the birth of Christ and right after that time, at the end of BC and the beginning of AD, so to speak, that's when they thought this is fulfilled and this is when something is happening which brought in to King Herod's time. Others believed it was referring to Rome and that God was going to restore and rebuild Jerusalem after the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD, that there was going to be a rebuilding. And others believe that the restoration to the new temple was actually a reference to the church. The anointed one being cut off refers to Jesus himself. Some still believe that it is leading to something even further down the line. And all these different ideas and people trying to make sense of this passage and trying to find a clear interpretation. What we see happening with Daniel is that his understanding of Jeremiah was wrong. Jeremiah said 70 years, but it wasn't going to be 70 years. What happens when we read the Bible and we get it wrong? when what we 
interpret it to say isn't really what it says or maybe it isn't what is meant or what it means is perhaps what it meant to a people at a certain time. What happens when we are so certain of something as Daniel was, but then our certainty is misplaced? And we have to step back and let go of what we were holding on to because it wasn't true. What happens when truth starts to surface and what we've held on to a thinking or belief in the Bible is now fighting against what is rising up to be true? How do we navigate those waters? Because that's what Daniel's experiencing and that's what people have experienced throughout the centuries. Now, I know... People don't like it when I talk like this. I know people get a little bit uneasy when I talk about truth coming up and our understanding of the Bible conflicting with each other. But what happens when we get it wrong and we attribute it to God, right? Because we think the Bible tells us so. What happens when people defend you know, slavery because they find it in the Bible? What happens when people uh, put women in an oppressed position because they find it in the Bible? What happens when there's genocide, killing of children and even animals because they see it in the Bible? What happens when we are confronted with things that are in the Bible, but the way we see things in our world are in conflict? When Daniel sees 70 years and it's no longer 70 years, right? When people say that the Bible speaks of slavery and says it's okay, and we don't think that that's okay. What happens when we don't have the clarity of understanding? And maybe what has to happen is there has to be a humility of questioning. There has to be a humility of looking at texts and scriptures and saying, you know what? I'm not really sure. And instead of having an attitude of this is what it means, this is what it says, have an attitude of I'm looking to find out. I'm wanting to know that there are certain things I have an understanding of and there are certain things I don't know and I'm going to allow this humility to be a place of learning and growing, right? There is an obsession with all of humanity when it comes to the idea of the end times, the end of the world. I I mean, it's, it's happening in many religions, it happens in atheism. It, it happens in the church, of course, but it, it's really all throughout society. People are wondering about the end of the world. For me, there was an uh, obsession with it. I mean, from the year 1988 to the year about 2000 Y2K, there was this understanding that when Israel became a nation in 1948, I believe it was, that that generation would not pass before the Son of Man would return. And so from those years, right, I was waiting to see when that would happen because 
That's what I thought it said. That's what I thought Jesus meant. And there was this constant. Every year, there would be an understanding. Okay, this happened, this happened, this happened. It's going to happen. This happened, this happened. Okay, this year, it's happening again. It's happening again. And finally, when you start getting to Y2K, I remember, boy, some powerful arguments of why it was going to happen in the year 2000. You could read some of the books that are there. I mean, I'm not going to go through the authors, but these things were so prevalent And then it didn't happen. And we have to step back like Daniel and say, you know, it said 70 years, but maybe when he said this generation shall not pass, he wasn't saying what I thought he was saying. Maybe I have to rethink the way I was interpreting and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I was wrong. What happens when we have to step back and say, I was wrong and how I understood what the Bible said. I went and looked at some of the predictions of when the world would end, and not just in Christians' circles, but in the world. And there are hundreds. And it's so interesting. Some of them are humorous and bizarre, and some of them are tragic, like the Heaven's Gate, right? Where 39 people took their lives because they thought the world was ending with a comet. There was one where there was a domesticated hen that would lay eggs in England, and the eggs appeared to have inscribed with the message, Christ is coming. They found out that it was a hoax, that someone was actually writing on the eggs and putting them back in the chickens. I know. It's just just like, what the heck, right? But there is this obsession about the end, right? From the International Bible Students in 1920, Jehovah's Witnesses, Herbert W. Armstrong, Lester Summerall, Louis Farrakhan, Tim LaHaye, Pat Robertson is in that category a couple of times. The Mayan calendar, all speaking about the end, all talking about the end times, and and even people and pastors that we know, right? And, And I'm trying to be sensitive to the people I'm talking to, but I hope you can take what is presented and understand that we sometimes get things wrong. You know, I, I receive probably the, one of the most pivotal moments in my life as a follower of Christ where it, it influenced me so much and, and changed my direction at a pastor's conference when Pastor Chuck Smith spoke. And, and it was powerful. It, it had such a, a deep, long-term effect on my life that I am grateful to this day for what he said. But I'm also aware that he talked about the end coming numerous times that I heard that didn't pan out. And that doesn't make him less. It really kind of makes him like Daniel, who thought this said this, but now he's finding out maybe it says something different. Sometimes to move forward, we have to start over. I remember putting in a clutch in my 1971 240Z 
was actually my wife's car, and I wish I had it still. Um, but I remember getting under that car, and there wasn't a lot of room. I mean, I had it on jacks, and it was lifted up. And I'm holding this clutch in my hands, and you have to align the clutch with this little spindle to make sure that the teeth in the transmission fit into the clutch. And you're holding it up, and I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm losing my salvation while I'm doing this. I'm just like, man, words are coming out of my mouth that my wife didn't think I I would utter. My kids are hiding in their room. I mean, it was just one of those times where it was terrible. Come to find out, they gave me the wrong clutch. And it would never have fit in there to save my life or the car to get it to run. But I didn't find that out until after about a day of trying to put that thing in there, right? And so my arms are like Arnold Schwarzenegger from holding up this, you know, transmission, trying to put it in, trying to put it in. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And finally, I have to take it out and realize that this clutch will not ever fit with this transmission. It's not going to work. And so I have to start all over again. And sometimes we have to do that in the way we think and how we understand scripture. Sometimes we have to start over again. And it's not a bad thing. It's actually growth. It's actually a good thing. It's actually stepping into the difficulty, learning from it, and moving forward in it. All these books that are written about the end times, all these stories. I mean, I remember the late great planet Earth and you can go through your list and maybe even your library of all the things that were happening about Y2K and all the other things that are happening about 1948 when Israel becomes a nation and about the 10 nations and about all these things. And we read Daniel and we talk about 70 weeks and we 62 weeks and we start putting people and things in there. And maybe sometimes we have to step back and say, okay, wait, it's been wrong here. It's been wrong here it's been wrong here maybe we have to take the the transmission down and say okay maybe the clutch does not fit the way i thought it would all these books and stories like in daniel to point to the destruction and the recreation of the universe i think there is a fulfillment in jesus death and the culmination of the destruction he had in his death and the recreation in his resurrection that the kingdom is now and still not yet. And so if I want to start over, if I want to look back and have new eyes to see things maybe clearer, I look at Matthew 24 as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Oh, that that passage has been so powerful. And Jesus is talking about the destruction of the, the temple and they ask three questions, right? When will these things be? The destruction of the temple and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? But before we can even try to answer these three questions, we need to understand what did these questions mean? What were the disciples really asking? Well, the destruction of the temple, it it seems clear. It would be the destruction of the temple. The signs of your coming. 
Remember this. If we are going to look at this question, the signs of your coming, what did the disciples think about Jesus at the time they asked this question? Did they believe that Jesus was going to be crucified? Did they believe that Jesus was going to die and then rise again? We see that that wasn't in their radar until after the resurrection. In John 20, it talks about them finally believing. So when they're asking about what will be the sign of your coming, how could they be asking about his second coming when they didn't believe he was going to die and rise again from the dead yet? So maybe they're talking about his coming and establishing a kingdom now. Think about how that changes the whole narrative through the rest of this chapter and how we look at it. And, And I'm not trying to upset anyone. I'm trying to be honest with what I've heard, what I've believed, and what I'm reading. And then he last says, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The end of the age. From the time of the Israelites' captivity in Egypt, there was the reference to the day the day when God would deliver his people. The day of deliverance from the enemies. We saw that in the first part of Daniel 9, and in Amos there's a deliverance even from themselves, from their sin. Later in Matthew, Jesus quotes Isaiah when he speaks of the fall of Babylon, and he is speaking of the prophetic past and seeing the completion in himself. When we speak of the end times, we are speaking, I believe, of what takes place in Jesus. What has happened to Jesus, the crucifixion, the resurrection, is what needs to happen to every one of us. There has to be a death and there has to be a rebirth. There has to be a repentance. Even as we saw in Daniel first part of chapter 9. And then there has to be the birth that God gives. This idea of the end of the age, we have hijacked it to mean the end of the world. But look at how Paul refers to this. He alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. And I've missed this in the past when he's talking about learning from the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. And he writes, now these things, again, they're wandering, their mishaps have happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. The end of the ages has come. It's fulfilled here in the people that he's writing to. So when Matthew says, what are the end of the ages? And Paul says, the end of the ages has come. He's talking about something that is present, not future tense. Remember, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the ages? And Paul now saying, on whom the end of the ages has come. What Jesus taught 
and I think, as importantly, who he represents is the culmination of these things. Jesus is the totality of what Daniel is writing, of what the prophets spoke about, about the end of the age. I believe in a new heaven and a new earth, and I believe the new heaven and the new earth have begun in Jesus and are now to be seen in us. We are to bring about this new hope. We are to evidence these things in our lives. Ephesians 1, verse 17, it says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Remember, that word revelation is apocalypse, a revealing. And the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the hope he has called you. What is the hope he has called you to? That the world's going to end and then you'll get to be with God in heaven? Is that the hope we are called to? Or is there a hope that's supposed to show up where we live right here and right now? What are the riches of his glory inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us believe? Who believe? This is something that we are supposed to live in. And I understand the fascination with the end and end times and the things. I mean, think of the movies that have written about these things, right? I mean, there's all the Terminator series, right? There was um, the Book of Eli. There's all the Planet of the Apes, the good ones and the bad ones, right? I mean, there is so much out there about the end of the world, and it's almost as if, we see things are bad and we want them to just start over. We, we just don't see how we can get past this. It, it just seems so bleak sometimes. And oh my gosh, if we are not living in a time like that right now, where you look at our world and we look at a pandemic and we look at division and we look at the, the struggles that we're going through and it almost seems like we just need to start over. Somebody push the reset button and make this all happen. But then there is this idea of we are supposed to be people that bring hope. Instead of asking when Jesus will come back, maybe let's look at what we can do and ask, how can we have the power to do what needs to be done in the world that we're living in? When the disciples asked Jesus in the book of Acts chapter one, when he had come and revealed himself to them after the resurrection, verse six, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Think about that question. Think about where they're at. They're not asking when he will come again, which some people are implying in Matthew 24. They're asking, is now the time? Are you gonna set everything right now? And notice what he says. He said to them, in verse seven, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed in his own authority. You know, what if we just took that verse to mean what it says? It's not for you to know. Maybe you're looking at the wrong thing. And notice the contrast in the next verse. 
It is not for you to know the times and the season the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Instead of me thinking, when is all the end going to take place and you're going to finally make everything good? Jesus says, you're not to know that. That's out of your pay grade. But you are to receive power and you are to be a witness of me. And you are to bring about this witness where you live. In the neighborhoods near where you live, to the country that you live in, and to the world. What instead of me, and and maybe I'm just speaking to myself here. If I am, please don't imply yourself if it doesn't apply to yourself. But if you're like me and have been wondering and had so much time in your life where you've thought about when is the end gonna happen and who is the Antichrist and what are the signs of these things gonna take place and just playing and thinking about the end, the end, the end, the end. Instead, I thought about, well, I have been given the power to be an example Example to the world. Why? Why have I been given power to be a witness? What am I trying to witness to? What is the hope I'm trying to bring here? Hey, everyone, the world's going to end. Woohoo! Is, is that the hope? Is that what we've been called to? Is to let people know the world's going to end. Oh, but then God's going to do something else. No, the new heaven, the new earth, the end of the ages has brought up, been brought about by Jesus. I'm supposed to be an example of the new. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter one, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. That is one bold statement. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. How could he say something like that? Because he is continuing the work that God is establishing. The kingdom of God is showing up in Paul, through Paul, even through his afflictions. Just like it did in Jesus, it is showing up now in Paul. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The word of God, again, is the gospel, fully known, the mystery hidden for ages, the generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope, again, speaks of something that we're looking for, and it's found now in you as you are in Christ. Are we living as people who are bringing hope? Are we living in this world and bringing hope to this world, or are we bringing more bad news? Are we bringing reconciliation or are we bringing division? Are we giving people something that they can hold on to and live with hope or are we taking that away, even from ourselves? 
what would happen if we saw this life in Christ instead of the end of the world as the end of the way the world used to be and the beginning of the way it's supposed to be? What if at the cross, when Jesus died, we saw the end of the empires that controlled and dominated and abused power, and we saw in the resurrection the birth of what life looks like through sacrifice? What if instead of Jesus coming on a white horse to conquer and to kill, we saw what he really was? the conquering king with a robe dipped in blood, which was his own blood? What if the sword was from his mouth and the truth that he shared instead of in his hand and how he dominated and killed? What if this crucified and resurrected Messiah was the end of the world and the beginning of the world that we now get to participate in? What if... We saw things differently. What if we stepped back? And I'm asking questions because this is what I think Scripture is telling us. That we are now part of the kingdom of God. And we are empowered to be witnesses and not worry about when everything is going to find its place. John would tell us in 1 John chapter 4, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses, and that word confesses is an important word. It's a person who is saying what is in agreement with what he is, right? Confesses that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love perfected with us, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. What if this Messiah brought about the end and the beginning and now is transforming the world through his people and that we find that we are confessing what he confessed. We are saying what he said, that we are living as he lived, that God is love and if we abide in him, Love is perfected in us because as he is, even as Paul perfected what was lacking in the affliction of Christ or continued it, we also continue the work of God in our lives, right? I don't want to wait for the end of the world I want to create hope for the new one. And and I don't want to be a person who's thinking that, you know what? It's no good. You just need to press the reset. 
I want to be a person who believes that God is at work and is able to do the miraculous. He's able to do it in the lives of people, that he's able to do it in the people who submit to him. I want to be a part of the work. I want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to live my life as if the kingdom of God is what is governing me now. I want the story of who I was in rebellion to God to end at the cross. And I want a new story to begin and the resurrection, the life that I've been given with Jesus. And I want to make that life a reality for my kids, for my grandkids, for the people who are without hope, the moms who are struggling, single moms raising their children, and now in a place where there are difficult things besides just that. I want to be a person who is able to bring about hope to these people and let them see that their life as it is now can be better, that God can show up right where they're at, right here, right now, that they don't have to wait for the end of the world, that the end of that world has come with Christ at the cross and that there is a new world that is being birthed through his people who hold on to this hope that he has given them, who have been given this power to be witnesses. I want to be a witness. This is how I see things right now. I I used to see things differently, and now I'm seeing them like this. And I can't tell you what I'm going to see or how I'm going to see things tomorrow. I need to have a humility and understanding. But I hope this has presented you with some questions of maybe how you've thought. And maybe another way of thinking. I, I hope this has questioned maybe some of the things that were fatalistic. That were without hope and have given you reason to hope and to have Trust in the power of God to bring about change. I don't believe this world is without hope. I don't believe that God is unable to bring about change. But I think that it's supposed to be us who brings about this change. And if that's the case, I do need his power. If that's the case, I do need his strength, his guidance, and his spirit, even as we've seen over and over again. It is his spirit in us bringing this hope because as he is, so are we in this world. Let's pray. Father, this has been a journey for me and it has been a slow and difficult one. And Lord, there's been a lot of wrestling with me and I pray, Lord, that there is always a wrestling. I I pray like even Daniel who read what seems to be clear in Jeremiah, 70 years and then the exile's over and then is told by this Gabriel, no, it's not. It's 77s. 
Lord, and, and that is a number of jubilee, Lord. That is a number that meant something to the people of Israel. After those years, there would be a returning of property to the rightful owners. There would be a, a, a forgiving of debt. There was a clean slate. Lord, I believe that in Christ, that slate has been cleansed. I believe that in Jesus, we have seen the end of the world and the beginning of the kingdom. And Lord, I believe that in Jesus, we have been invited to participate in this kingdom. Lord, I don't have it all figured out. I am looking, trying to find you and your spirits leading in all these things. And I pray we would hunger and thirst for these things, God, that we would desire to know truth and be set free. And Lord, that we would allow truth informed by your spirit to give us eyes to see clearly. Lord, I pray that this stirs up conversation within us and amongst us. That the conversation produces good things in us, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the scripture. Thank you for all the people who have gone before me and have been an influence in my life, Lord. And I pray I continue to grow and be an influence to others around me as well, Lord. May your legacy be seen in and through us, to our children and to our children's children. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Um, I hope you guys will join us for tonight, uh, take two, five o'clock. We're going to actually do a YouTube live. I don't know if we'll be able to do Instagram live and YouTube live at the same time. We'll, we'll see. If we can, we'll do it. But um, we are going to do that on YouTube live, what I talked about just now. And we'd like your questions. In fact, if you would like to come down, because it's going to take place here at the Genesis building, and be a part while Randy and I talk about it and maybe even ask questions, um, you're invited to be here. We can only have a few people here, but I don't think we're going to have multitudes anyway. So um, if you'd like to be a part of that conversation, ask questions, then please join us here tonight at 5 o'clock at the building um, while Randy and I talk about these things because there should be a lot of questions. You know, there's a lot of things I didn't get into um, that maybe have caused you to wonder what about these things. Uh, Maybe there's some scriptures that you think about, maybe the whole idea of rapture and that comes into mind. There's my, my intention isn't to get bogged down in a lot of detail. I, I, I want to give thought that brings about inspiration and I hope that happens and may we not look for the end of the world may we look to be a hope for those in the world we're creating in the name of Jesus God bless you guys thank you love you guys miss you hope to talk to you soon and see you soon You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. 
You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.